Good to be with you all. I'm uh, fresh off of a trip to Israel, my first time experiencing the Holy Land. And uh, it's funny, when I was growing up, I'd hear uh, different missionaries when they'd visit and come in town and they'd want to do these like big slideshow presentations. And you're like, oh, here goes another slideshow. But now coming back from this trip, I'm like, really, it's taking everything within me to not just do a slideshow presentation uh, this morning. And so instead, I'm going to try to kind of implement things over the weeks to come gradually to kind of spread it so you're not uh, blown away with disinterest. Uh, So here we are and finding ourselves working through the story of Samson. I'm so grateful for uh, John and Josh. I got to listen to them. Both of those guys, they're good preachers, man. Uh, did a great job uh, unpacking uh, the first two parts of the story, and John reminding us the importance of finishing well, and uh, Josh making sure we stay out of enemy territory. That stuck in my mind from from his talk. And I don't know if you're like me, kind of in this study of Samson. Maybe you grew up hearing this story a thousand times, but every time I'm always conflicted as to what do we do with this guy. Like, uh, there, there, there's, there's a part of you that you're like, he doesn't quite fall into the flannel graph look. He doesn't, he's, he's not a one-dimensional character. He's somebody that you're torn with. Is he wearing a white hat or a black hat? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, is he a good guy? Is he, is he, is he a man that's actually fulfilling God's call in his life? Or is he just kind of a sex-crazed narcissist kind of following the flesh? You're like, well, who is this guy? And the more I've thought about it, the answer to that question, white hat or black hat? Well, what do you guys think? White hat, black hat? Gray hat? Is that a possibility? Uh, I, I would suggest the answer is yes. The answer is yes. A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Sometimes he's totally right on course, fulfilling God's call for his life. He's giving appropriate praise to God. Sometimes he's acting in the flesh and doing some really dumb stuff. What I would propose about Samson is that he is the story of us. He's the story of us. Are we a good guy? Are we a bad guy? I don't know. What day are you talking about? Was it yesterday? Was it last hour? Was it this hour? Am I operating the flesh or is the spirit driving the ship? Which one is it? That's why the story is so conflicting is what do you do with Samson? I would propose more often than not, it's a lesson and it's kind of a lesson of like, don't do this like Samson, maybe similar to our life sometimes. Let me pray before we dive in. Lord Jesus, we invite you to teach us through this fascinating character we find in Scripture that you'd stretch us, that we'd grow from his experiences and we'd learn from his mistakes and we'd actually gleam the appropriate things from his story as well when he does things well, when he praises you appropriately, when he gets his life finally aligned with the, uh, your plan. And so all of this, God, we ask that we'd use this as teachable moments in this study. We ask that your spirit would be moving in this room, that you'd meet us exactly where we're at, that you'd speak to us specifically through the study of your word. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So as far as uh, location in our Bible, we're in Judges and we're in chapter 15. So basically this story is kind of uh, taken over four different chapters. We've covered two of those already. Now we're in chapter uh, 15. And uh, we're going to work through that this morning and pointing out, diff- making different observations from the, 
the text teachable moments. But before we do that, just a little recap of where we've already um, been, just a reminder of Samson, who he was, basically a man that had a, God had a call on his life, and the primary call was to help free the Jewish folks from being underneath Philistine rule. That was uh, the uh, call on his life. He had a Nazarite vow. You remember some things that he was restricted from in his life. Basically, he's blazed past the majority of these uh, things at this point uh, so far. The Philistines, you might wonder, like, why, why is he, what, what do they have against the Philistines? Basically, the Philistines were an invading people to this land. They were known as the people of the sea, most likely coming from Crete, the land that they inhabited in Israel still to this day is known. Uh, they used the word Philistia uh, back then. We use the word Palestine present day. And so some uh, interesting connections, even seeing that on my uh, current trip. Really what they were known for, and unfortunately, they were known for some pretty extreme levels of debauchery, known for just reading a little bit about uh, them, including idol worship, child sacrifice, sexual orgies, even bestiality. So some things that the God was wanting to use Samson to move them out of the land and with uh, force we're about to see here in the text. So he has this one call on his life. And it's fascinating, as we've already learned, what did Samson do instead of moving the people out of the land? He marries a Philistine. You're like, talk about the ultimate, like, did you you miss the memo of what your calling was? So last week, we ended with Josh explaining kind of how his wedding ceremony or, or celebration went. Didn't go so well. Involved some gambling, involved some drinking, you had involved a little murder, the the groom leaving er, early, you know, the typical things in a bad wedding. But here's the, the, the idea, the thing that he left us with is the very last act of the father before at the end of the ceremony when things went really bad is the father did what with the bride? Gave the bride to the best man. Now, we've all been to some crazy weddings, but that takes the cake, no pun intended. Like, this is the, the ultimate, the idea of, of like, yeah, that didn't seem to work out. Anybody else want her? Uh, here you go. We'll, we'll, we'll give them to the best man. So that's how it played out. Little recap of where we've been. Now, uh, Samson, after he's really ticked off, headed home, spent some time with his family. Then verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, After some days, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you, were utterly, that you utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regards to the Philistines when I do them harm. All right, we'll we'll pause there. What's what's happening? Uh, uh, A lot of confusion here, a lot going going down. Basically, Samson, first off, you have to wonder, like, what's he thinking? Like, clearly that wasn't, that, that marriage thing wasn't going well. I don't know if he's going back because of a commitment to his vows Do you guys think he's very committed to vows? Uh, Not so much. But either way, we get a little glimpse of why in the world he would be going back. It says that I will go into my wife in the chamber. So what do you think is on his mind? What do you think is driving the ship? So Samson, 
Once again, I would propose that really being led by desires and passions and not necessarily using his mind appropriately. He shows up, he shows up with a young goat. Now, guys, this is maybe something to try, you know, next time you blow it, you know, like come home. Here's a goat for you, dear. Skip the roses. No, I'm just kidding. But he had called her a heifer, and so there was some, uh, some healing to be done. So here he's showing up with a young goat, uh, coming, showing up, and the father shares with him. You see it there in the text. says, uh, I got some good news and some bad news. The bad news is your wife, I gave her to your buddy. Uh, and so the good news is what? I have a younger daughter that's even prettier. You're going to like, like seriously, this guy, father of the year award, forget it. Like this guy is uh, really breaking all kinds of um, boundaries. In fact, it's uh, in Leviticus 18, 18, we're told that they're not supposed to marry the sister. So uh, Samson is actually somehow on uh, the right pace here. And he says, this time, Samson, look at Samson's response. This time... I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. This time, in other words, last time when it was settling gambling debts, I wasn't innocent. But this time, it's going to be all right when I impose harm. So you can see here, this is just a mess. Like, this is, this is a mess. And isn't that the truth of how things work when we operate in the flesh rather than the spirit driving the ship? See, when we, the, he, he, he's a perfect lesson and a perfect example of he's continuing to just be led by the flesh. And as we're trying to apply these things still present day, isn't that what so many of us, if we're honest, we can slip into that exact same pattern in our life? Just being guided by the flesh. The flesh is, the flesh is driving, it's leading, it's directing. I jotted down a, just a, a few practical ways of things that we can slip into operating in the flesh. Fits of rage when one is angered. Fits of rage when one is angered. When something upsets us, when it doesn't go well, that can be a mode of operating in the flesh is just fits of rage. I was Talking to John, John uh, Irwin came in the other day in the office, and uh, he had just gotten back from filling up our church van with uh, gas at the local gas station. He comes back, he's kind of got a little bit of a shake, and he's, uh, his, his voice is a higher pitch than usual, and he's, uh, he's, he's telling the story. I'm adding a little emphasis to that. And so uh, it's getting bigger and bigger. And the fish was this big. No, um, but so, so he comes in at the gas station, and he starts telling me the story of a guy that was there that was standing off to, the side, off to the side was smoking, which I don't think it's real wise uh, to smoke. So a guy that was filling up his tank said, hey, what are you doing smoking at a gas station? And they start getting into it. Well, not only verbally, the one guy that was agitated with a smoker goes up, tell me if I'm right with this, John, right? jacks the guy in the face. This is just right here in Agora. You know, like, what, what's happening? Our friendliest town in America. We've blown that this year. Uh, but anyway, this, this, this idea just punches the guy in the face and hops in the car and drives off. John's like, what, what is happening around us? And you see, when we operate in the flesh, sometimes it even comes out in physical violence. More often, I'd su suggest, verbal, right? More often. Or even present day, 
even with these keyboards, right? With the, the ability to, to write things. So the operating in the flesh, evident in the way that we have fits of rage. The next one, mental infidelity in response to visual stimuli. That's a really fancy way of saying being prompted by things that you see that are really forbidden. And guys, that's definitely what we're bombarded with, whether it's in the, the world around us physically or on the screens. Ladies, this is a, a real issue as well. That's another means or mode of operating in the flesh, and it doesn't have good outcomes. Impulse purchase when something catches your eye. You guys are like, how did that make the list? You're like, wait, wait, a, wait a second. What, what, how did that? But he, here's the thing. I was reading a little bit about this. Like this, this shopping thing is a real issue. Husbands are like, amen. It's the first time I'm going to get a, a, an amen. But, but here, here's the reason I say that is because there's actually, there's studies on this that buying and purchasing something releases what? endorphins and what's the other stuff? Dopamine. Dopamine, that's the one. And so all this stuff that happens because, oh, I saw this and I, I just had to have it. I don't have money in the account for it, but I just had to have it. Another picture of operating in the flesh rather than in the spirit. That was maybe a little too close to home for some. Being guided by how we feel in the moment. So many people, and there's a, a lot of counseling that's happened over the years and that I've been a part of, and so many people, when you really get down to the root and the core issue with people, you ask them, like, why'd you do that? That seems like a really dumb decision. So often it's like, well, I was feeling this, and this is what I was thinking. I was feeling and feeling and feeling and feeling some more, and, and, and all of a sudden you're like, well, man, you do some really dumb stuff when you're feeling. You know, like, how about if we stop operating in the flesh and responding. I've said it a bunch of times that feelings are a wonderful caboose, but a lousy engine. Wonderful caboose, lousy engine. Some of these personal reminders for us today of being led by the flesh. Let's continue for the sake of time in the story. So Samson, this is, blows me away. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when they had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stack grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. We'll pause there just for a moment. So my wife and I, before moving here, lived at Judson University. It was a lot of fun. My wife was a resident director of a college dorm. And man, we saw some pranks like none other. Like uh, some of them just made the top 10 list. One was that the guys put, filled up the washing machines in the girls' uh, uh, dorm and put fish in all the washing machines. And so that was, that was interesting. Another one where they caught, I don't, a purchase was made of a thousand crickets set free in a dormitory. Like, uh, like you're like, whoa, that, that didn't go well. The, the ladies did this. this uh, they, they reenacted the battle of Jericho and at like three in the morning, banging pots and pans, doing how many laps around uh, the dorm. So all of these things, like they were good. Samson has them all beat here. Like, look at what it says. What does it say that he does? 
gathers 300 foxes. Like, I'm guessing this was a time-intensive, <laughs> labor-intensive process of gathering. And then my question is, how do you t- tie the tails of foxes together? Like, uh, like Samson's like the ultimate dude. He's like, I don't know, I'm going to tie these foxes together. I'm going to put a torch in the middle and send them running. You know, like, can you imagine? That's what, that's what he does. And what is the impact of that? Now, here's a picture. Here's my very first Israel picture. This is actually supposed to be the valley. Here, picture, picture. The valley right in there in the center. So picture that in between the center of these two hills hills being filled with grain and seeing these little torched animals with with singed tails sprinting through there and the devastation was total. One of the things I learned from being on that trip is how small these little communities are. And you think about that, their entire, I mean, that was their economy in one shot, gone. One shot completely eliminated in response to this situation where Samson implements revenge. The revenge cycle continues. Verse 6, then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they, what moron? Uh, They said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her And her father with fire. Man. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he stuck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. So here, this revenge cycle that he starts is continuing, and you think about this. Think about this, this little family and the, uh, the, the father and the daughters. And the part of you is like, man, well, you could make a case. They're part of the Philistines. And uh, yeah, God was trying to move them from the land. But I want to point to just the fact and the influence of where so often our choices, our compromises, Samson had, should have had nothing to do with this woman ever to begin with. He shouldn't have ever been there. Our compromises so often impact others. Have you seen this to be true? Think about that even in your own life or lives that you've watched of people that have just literally been ruined by moments of uh, poor decisions. Man, I'll tell you what, growing up, uh, not growing up, but even in my years of ministry, probably more formative times was the season that I spent on staff at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. And uh, this last year, I don't know if you've uh, even had a chance to hear things on the news, but their lead pastor is, ha- has accusations of sexual misconduct that has really just wrecked the church. I was there in uh, September this last year for a wedding and just talking, actually a, a friend of mine is actually the, the interim lead pastor for the church and just talking to him. I'm like, what's it like, man? How's, how are things going? How can we be praying for you? He's like, man, the, the hardest thing, and I was just thinking about his words, he's like, the hardest thing is just seeing the wake of heartache on the other side of this decision. The wake of heartache, so many people damaged and hurt because of one person's decision to go outside of the bounds of God's best for somebody. For us, man, if you can forecast in advance and say, man, this decision, is it worth it? Is it worth it? On the other side of it, so much damage and heartache, our compromise impacts other 
You see that play itself out pretty drastically, and we were told that Samson then lashes back. We don't know exactly know what it means when it says struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, not as far as specifics, but that idea there is just ruthless slaughter. This guy who, as John pointed out, most likely to succeed is now all of a sudden hiding in a cave in Eden. Here's the picture as it continues the sin, sin's effect. Verse 9, Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. See that cycle there again. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. I'm going to stop there for a little explanation. So far in our story, we've been really learning a lot from Samson, more so not to do's than to do's. But here in this case, I want to look at the nation of Israel at this time. Some lessons to be learned from them. We're told at the very beginning of this story that they're 40 years underneath Philistine rule. 40 years. We're also told in the beginning of the, the, the story that they were doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So what was happening to the people of Israel is that they were under this umbrella of rule that they were starting to engage with themselves. No longer were they offended by their oppressors. They had literally dove in completely into the culture, immersed in it themselves. And so what happens here is all of a sudden, Samson threatens their comfort. Samson threatens their comfort. They had gotten very used to living underneath Philistine rule. Look, look at the explanation they give to Samson. They're like, don't you know we're under their rule? They're, they're ruling over us. I find it interesting how quickly and easily they're able to rally 3,000 troops when they're trying to defend their patterns of sin. When they're trying to defend their patterns of sin, all of a sudden it's not hard to rally a group of committed soldiers to go down and talk to Samson. Can you imagine being the guy that's, okay, who's going to go up to the rock and, uh, and talk to Samson? You're like, who's, who's going to knock on his uh, little rock door? Like, who, who's going who's gonna to say, the guy's like, uh, I'll, I'll do it. Hey, Samson, do you, do you mind coming out? You know what I mean? I don't know. I play all these things out. But uh, uh, I'll, I won't do all the voices. Oh, that's embarrassing. Uh, so, so here he, show, he shows up, gets Samson to come out. Samson's like, well, are you going to kill me? Are you, you going to try to kill me? And they're like, no, we're just going to tie you up and turn you over. You think about that. Their one hope for a savior, and they're willing to hand him over to their enemies. Like, wait a second. What is that forecast? our one hope, our one savior, and we're willing to hand him over as a peace offering. 
here in this instance, they're, they've become so numb to their sin. And that's the interesting thing is that what the effect that sin has on us is it sucks the passion out of us. It sucks the passion out of us. We get numb, we get comfortable, and all of a sudden nothing stirs in us anymore. Nothing rings our bell anymore to say like, whoa, we shouldn't be doing this. We have to stop because truth is sinners love their sin. Sinners love their sin. Has a numbing effect. See how the story continues. When they came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Listen to this. And the ropes that were on his arms became as flax and that has caught fire. And his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with, his stru- with it, he struck 1,000 men. And Samson said, with a jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. And with the jawbone of a donkey, I've struck down a 1,000 men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand. And that place was called Ramath Leha. Shouted. What does it say at the beginning there? These people, when they saw Samson showing up and he's in chains, he's bound up, they start cheering. Isn't that the case of how our enemy is? When we're enchained, when we're entrenched in sin, when we're entangled, he celebrates that fact. So they're bringing Samson to the Philistines. And you think about this, this, this scene there. They don't realize that Samson is underneath the hand of a God that breaks every chain. They didn't know that. They didn't get that memo. I heard, heard this joke about why the jewelers in uh, Jerusalem didn't like Jesus, because he breaks every chain. Sorry. But here's the idea. Here's the idea. So the, he shows up there, and if there was ever a moment that you could replay, and I'm really hoping that heaven has a replay booth. Anybody else looking forward to that? If there's a moment to replay, imagine the faces as his chains or as his ropes snap and he's set free. You're like, are you guys for the Philistines? Are you sure you want this guy in your camp? And he shows up and what does it say that he does? What's it say in the text? Reaches down. And even in this moment, is that as a Nazarite, was he allowed to be touching a, a jawbone of a donkey? Nope, not allowed. But still, in God's mercy, in God's kindness, empowers. It says that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he took out a thousand men. Like that's the part of scripture where you're just like, what does that even look like? How long does it take to to, to actually take out a thousand men? Was it like a Thor hammer? Was it like, (laughs) like, I have no idea, but replay is going to be pretty cool in heaven. I'm just saying, but here, uh, that's maybe uh, a dark side of me, but, uh, but here he's got the, he's got this jawbone and he's just taking out dudes. And I just wonder when you're guy number 867, what goes through your mind that says, you know what? I think I can take him. I think I can take him. Like, are you serious? And, and so, so uh, in this, a thousand men are taking out because, and you think about that, you're like, why, why does God do that? Finally, Samson is actually getting on call to his mission. 
Now, some of us, when we read Old Testament, we're like, ah, I don't really like some of the mission, but God used different people as a hand of his judgment for people groups that had completely rejected him and were worshiping other gods. So the Spirit of the Lord was using Samson to drive the Philistines out of the land, a pretty powerful moment. But here's the thing to understand is nothing about this part of the story has anything to do with Samson being noble, nothing to do with him being on track, nothing to do with only thing you might be able to point to is he is actually aligning his life finally, even just for a moment with what God had called him to do. If you're wondering, how do I experience the rushing power of the, of the spirit of God in my life? How do I experience that? Man, I'll tell you one little clue from this, this little example here is, man, align your life with his plan for it. You're like, well, I don't know. What's his plan for? Man, scripture is so clear. We talk about it like every third Sunday here. His plan for your life is literally to reach lost people with the love and grace of Jesus Christ. So you guys can walk away today and be like, oh, now I know what I'm supposed to do. Literally, that's it. That's God's plan is to reach out with his love and grace. And I'm confident you will see him come upon you in power. It might not be killing a thousand people with a jawbone, but nonetheless, the power of working behind the scenes of our God. On this trip that we were just on in Israel, it was a really fascinating experience. We had a tour guide. We had some different pastors that were there. It was a, a ministry tip, 60 different vocational ministers on this trip to Israel. Uh, pretty fun experience. But uh, in this trip, we had a, a tour guide. His name was Ronan. Now, Ronan, we discovered like a, a good way into the trip that, that Ronan, despite being probably one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever met in my entire life as it relates to God's word, the nation of Israel, geology, his history, all this stuff, this guy had it, knew it all. But we found out from our, our point leader, he's like, but he's, he's, to our knowledge, he's never embraced Jesus Christ. Never, never once done that. Man, and I, in that trip, that just burdened me the whole time. I just would be listening to him talk, and I'm learning tons from him and, and taking it all in. But man, it just, just didn't settle. And I kept feeling this impression from God because I was like, man, I, I don't know what I would say to this guy because it's not like you're going to present new information that he didn't know. You know what I mean? I'm like, uh, here, here. And I felt this impression from God. God was just kept on nudging me. Just tell him how much I love him and I want them for my own. So I'm like, I don't know. How, do, how does that play out? And so I'm like, I don't, I'm kind of wrestling with God on this. And so I said, all right, I'm going to do it. So I went up to Ronan in between one of the little pauses on things after he just blew everybody away with all of his information. I said, hey, Ronan, this is going to sound really weird. And I, I know I'm a pastor and all this. I said, but, but uh, I just keep having this impression that God's telling me to, uh, he, he wants you to know how crazy he is about you, how much he loves you, and he wants you for his own. And I said, you, you can do whatever you want with that information, but I just was told that I was supposed to tell you that. And he's like, huh, huh. He, he, he didn't have much to say. He's, he, he's like, I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me. He's like, I've he, he goes, you might not know this, but I've probably pointed more to, God, to the glory of Jesus Christ than really most people do in their lifetime. I was like, interesting, sad. Uh, but, but in that, it was interesting to watch over the course of the 10, 11 days, just a, a softening of his heart. Our last day that we were there, last two days we were in Jerusalem, 
There's this, uh, this, this chapel in the pool by the pools of Bethesda. Had the most insane acoustics in it. It's fun, all of us singing worship songs in there, man. You guys would have loved it. It was more rattly than this crazy room. And, uh, and, uh, and so we're there singing. I was looking over. I've been paying attention to Rona. It's just interesting. Watch his eyes just kind of tear up. Even when we were worshiping, he was just closing his eyes and just looking up. You know, God's doing a work. You guys can join me in praying for, for Ronan. But see, the reason I, I bring that up is that we have a God that's willing to use whatever vessel, whoever wants to be a tool in his hand. You can be the biggest donkey like Samson, and God's still willing to use you. Isn't that good news? Like, isn't that awesome? Like, you can be the biggest donkey literally holding the jawbone of a donkey, and God's like, cool, I'll take it. I'll use you. That's the good news of what God has chosen to do, including us. Last section, we'll end with this. How are we doing on time? All right, we're all right. Uh, here's the, the, the last section, verse 18. Uh, oh, first off, I, I love how Samson ends that last section. He goes into kind of like a rap, like a rhyme, and then drops the, the, the it was like a drop the mic, only drop, drop the jawbone. Uh, but anyway, he does this little rap about how great he is. And then verse 18, <laughs> he says, and he was very thirsty and he called upon the Lord and said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he was revived. Therefore, the name of it is called Enhakor. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. We'll end with that section. Now, upon first review, kind of feels like a bit of an adult temper tantrum, right? You guys get that, that vibe? But as I was looking at it a little bit closer, I'm like, wait a second. In the story of Samson, this is the very first time that Samson calls out to God. It's the very first time that Samson calls out to God. And look at it. There's actually a little resemblance of redirecting credit after his rap. After his rap, he, he says this. He says, you have granted this great salvation. You have granted this great salvation. So finally appropriately directing credit. Finally, he's wearing a, a little, almost a white hat, you know, like he's finally giving praise. And he refers to himself as your servant, your servant. They're like, huh, where was that servant part when you weren't thirsty? Where was that servant part when you weren't pursuing Philistine women? Like, where was that servant part? But here in this moment, and I love this, what we learn about our God, that's like, that's right. I'll take you. I'll take you. Even with wrong motives, one might say, even when it's because he's at the end of his rope, even when he's at the very bottom of the barrel where he's like, I'm going to die if I don't have water. Even in that moment, we have a God. That's what I love about our God. He's like, all right, I'll take you. Just call out to me. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not, no, there, there's no caveat to that. There's no, hey, once you get your act together, once your motives are online, once you, once you are actually living as a servant, once you're doing this, nope. God's like, no, I, I don't require any of that. Just call upon me and I'll come rushing to you. I love that about our God. 
And here, a lot of people are say like, man, the most impressive thing was a thousand men killed. And some people are like, I don't think that's possible. You're like, uh, you're dealing with a God that spoke everything into existence. Really, there's not much that's not possible. So here, here's, there's that idea. But anyway, here's the, the, the thing that's pretty cool about this. When you're over there in Israel, there's a whole lot of dry land. There's a lot of a land that's just like, man, I, you could see getting thirsty there and never having that solved. But here in this situation, what does God do? In his love and kindness, Samson calls out to him, and God's like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send rushing a flood of water from the ground. How, how does that even work? Like, talk about the miraculous. Imagine you just stand there like, man, I could sure use a drink. Bubble, 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 water coming. Like, what in the world? That's our God. So here's the reminder, and this is how we wrap up, is there's nothing about Samson, nothing about Samson that's noteworthy. The only thing that's noteworthy is that he's the object of the grace of God. He's the object of the grace of God. God in his kindness chose to rush upon him, use him, provide for him. The story only has how many heroes? One, one hero. Guess in your life, my life, guess how many heroes there are? One, one hero. There's only one hero in our story. It's a loving God that in his kindness reaches us at our lowest points, reaches out to us with messed up motives, sinful past. It's like, I want, I want to use you. I want to provide for you. I want to celebrate you. I want to raise you up because that's who I am. I'm a God of grace. That's who we sing about. That's who we celebrate here on Sunday mornings. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus, so much for this example of Samson, of a picture of us, and the reminder of your grace and your kindness. It's evident in so many different ways. God, in this story, we see that it's literally even at his lowest point, that you're willing, as we're told in Romans, that you will come upon anyone who calls on you. I pray just for a moment now, just as we're wrapping up the service, for anyone, God, that's never called upon you themselves. They can't point to a time where they've ever bent a knee and called out to you. I hope and prayer that this might even be a Sunday that's a turning point for no longer operating solely in the flesh, but literally reaching out to the God who wants to flood with his amazing grace that's evidence in what he did for us on the cross. God, we thank you that you're just a a call away, that you'll respond to that ask. God, we praise you this morning that when we do get on mission, when we actually do align our lives with your plan, that you want to come behind that. I pray that someone this week might test you in that. They might take a risk and step out in faith and see what you might do through them aligning their life with your call to reach people with the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your grace and patience and all this. Thank you for uh, your word. It's just, uh, it's, it's like honey to our lips. We praise you for that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Pretty awesome to think that the spirit of the living God lives inside of us if we've embraced Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. We have a choice what degree of reign we give him though, right? Let's choose this week to submit to him and see what he can do in and through us. It'd be an awesome thing, I pray. Have a wonderful Sunday. If we can pray for you following the service, we have a couple volunteers here in the front. God bless you.